Oh, hey, it's me. That pair of jeans that's been hanging in your closet for the past six months that you won't dare put on because you're now accustomed to wearing only stretchy clothes with elastic. Oh, hey, fancy seeing you here. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Naomi, your host, and this is Mindful Movement. Where we talk about psychology, fitness, nutrition, and how all of those things are kind of the same thing, but not at all, or rather how they're connected. So let's get to it. Hello, everybody, and welcome back. Today, we're talking about chewing, airways, breathing, and what I thought was going to be a two-part episode about breathing has probably turned into at least a three-parter. There's just so much information here and I have way too much to say, so let's dive right in. The first thing we're going to talk about today is soft food being an issue. In the modern world today, we cook or process most of our food. Our face is comprised of 42 muscles. We used to hunt wild game and forage for our vegetables, fruits, and other food sources. This required a lot of chewing. Foods weren't cooked most of the time, and they were tough, full of fiber, and required tons and tons of mastication. Not masturbation, mastication. Mastication is chewing. (laughs) 12,000 years ago, humans in the southwest of Asia and the Fertile Crescent in the Mediterranean. Can you picture it? I picture it very green. That could be wrong though. (laughs) They started growing their food. This was the first instance of farming, so to speak. These were the first farming cultures that we have on record. And they were also the first widespread instances of malocclusion, which is crooked teeth. These instances, however, were few and far between. Yeah, yeah, so Jimmy, down there, down the tribe stream, behind Rock B, has some crooked teeth. No big deal. About 300 years ago, let's rewind. That's all to basically say, we used to chew our food a lot. Remember, mastication, not masturbation. And when you're chewing your food all the time, you get development of those 42 facial muscles. We use our 42 facial muscles to talk, make facial expressions, non-verbally communicate, and verbally communicate, but really, they're used to move our jaw up and down and swallow appropriately and properly, and our tongue is one of these huge muscles that is a little bit atrophied nowadays and we're not chewing and chewing and chewing like we used to so about 300 years ago all of this changed all of this fibrous food eating and really farming became a really really big deal in james nestor's book he says it all went viral We saw the majority of humans grow to have flatter faces, more malocclusion or crooked teeth, and malformed jaws. We saw the result of mass farming, meaning our food was really easy for us to get. We didn't have to forage for it, and we could also selectively decide what we did and did did not want to farm or mass produce. With that being said, there was more food and food was more abundant 
And cooking, obviously, or food processing became a big part of this. With this came massive changes to the human face. There's a huge disconnect, however, because anthropologists are the ones with the information and the dental practitioners don't know any of this. Facial changes aren't written about in medical textbooks, nor is the history, and it's pretty common to believe that changes in facial structure aren't even really possible at all. The only way that it's possible is through orthodonture or like these braces, I guess, would be the best way to say. So the common belief and common practice in dentistry and orthodonture orthodonture is to basically say you can't change the structure of your face without some type of device whether that be braces a palate expander headgear something on the outside to change it all of this kind of changed when dr mew came around and enter mewing mewing is the idea that through mastication and chewing and different exercises and forces and really daily habit changes in chewing and the way that you swallow, you can change the structure and the shape of your face. It's, I I will say this, there's like this cult following on the internet and a lot of people will report higher cheekbones, broader faces, straighter teeth, straighter noses, and really just overall a more attractive, more angular face. That means that the jaw isn't sunken down like we talked about in the first breathing episode, and the face actually comes out and becomes broad like it's meant to be because the muscles are now dictating the bony structures of the face instead of this idea that the bony structures of the face are permanent and they're just the place that the muscles kind of lay over. So it is agreed upon in all of the medical literature that osteocytes come in to repair bone and they do exist and they are real real things and that bones do in fact remodel over time. So does it not stand to reason that we can change the bony structures of our face to where they were intended to be? The theory goes that if the mouth is large enough that the teeth will grow in straight and this is backed by evidence of many, many, many aboriginal cultures. If we look back at a lot of aboriginal cultures, if not all of them, and we study their skulls and look at their alignment of their teeth, they all have these perfect, beautiful, straight teeth, which is just insane. They didn't have braces. They didn't have headgear. They didn't have any of this orthodonture or any devices to make their teeth straight but what they did have was proper mastication and chewing and the proper development of the the um, muscles in the face right this is a really 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 big deal and what we were often asking ourselves was how do we straighten the teeth instead of asking why are our teeth crooked and why weren't they crooked before which is very common in our culture at least in western culture to think here's the problem let me find a solution and you're being very reactive instead of proactive instead of saying well why is this the problem in the first place and maybe looking at all of the pieces of the problem might be a better holistic way to view this so if we rewind and we talk about back about farming and agriculture 
We really began mass farming and processing our foods. And so what we started to do was we wanted our food to last longer because we were able to farm it in these massive amounts, which means we needed to be able to store the food and we needed the food to be more shelf stable. The way that we went about doing that is we we started stripping the bran or the outside of a lot of grains and seeds and all these things off because that's what was spoiling. That's also the part with all of the nutrition and fiber and the parts that we chew and, and develop our facial muscles with. I'm not even going to talk about this from a nutritional standpoint, but if we strip the the fiber off of the outside we find let's use rice for example so we turn brown rice into white rice we pull the outside bran or shell off and we have the inside seed it's white and it's more shelf stable because there's less nutrients in it to spoil or go bad for lack of better words so we started doing this really to be able to save and utilize and store all this food that we were farming we didn't think that it was going to have and it's still not a widely noted or believed thing that it had this negative effect on our facial structures. It's very, very, very uncommon for someone to put all these pieces together, which is why Dr. Mew is really amazing and so is his son. We'll get to that at a later date. But we also started canning foods. And in canning, the canning process, we have to heat and cool the cans multiple times to get rid of botulism or the likelihood thereof and lots of other bacteria. In doing so, you're essentially destroying fiber and a lot of nutrients by softening the food, which means when you pull the food out of the can, the fiber has been broken down or the proteins, and it's easier to chew if you even need to chew it at all. Think of, uh, what's a fibrous food? Corn. Think of corn straight off of the cob or even frozen has still been a little bit altered, but think of fresh corn on the cob and all that fiber and how much you have to chew it versus like uh, canned corn it comes out really mushy (laughs) and it just loses a lot of that structure a lot of that fiber and requires very little chewing at all especially in accordance to the original food um let's see what else did we do this this obviously like i said helped increase the shelf life of food, but it really, really led to a lot of malocclusion and crooked teeth. So the next topic or the next guy that we're going to look at is Sir Weston Price. So enter Weston Price. Some of you may have heard of him, but he wrote a book called Nutritional and Physical um, Generation. So Small aside here, I mentioned that Weston Price's book is called Physical and Nutritional Generation. I meant to say Nutritional and Physical Degeneration, just so that's crystal clear, so no one on the internet bullies me and tells me I don't know what I'm talking about. Now, on to Weston Price. What this basically was, was like this huge compiled book of all this information because he traveled around and he looked at all of these different cultures. And what he noticed was there was deficiencies in not some, but all major vitamins. And those can lead to issues in bone health, a theory in which Weston Price came to adapt after he traveled the world meeting and studying so many aboriginal cultures he found that some subsisted of dairy and others not at all others mostly meat and yet another group would have a primarily vegetarian diet 
But what they all had in common is they had straight teeth and a full-spectrum, nutrient-dense diet. So whether the culture was eating just, or sorry, the Aboriginal culture was just eating only dairy and they ate dairy products, they, regardless, like if that was a main staple of their diet, they were still getting this full spectrum of nutrient-dense foods. They're probably also foraging for other root vegetables. And then you would see another culture um, that would eat mostly vegetables and fibrous vegetarian diet type things because that's what they had around them. And they too had a nutrient-dense diet that was full, the full spectrum. So Weston Price is important to know because he's looking at these cultures and he's saying they're all so different but what do they have in common what can we learn from this so a lot of people have used his work and they look at it in in many different ways we're looking at it here to note that the the vitamin deficiencies may have potential for causing deficiencies in bone which then can lead to malocclusion which is what i was talking about earlier when i said we're destroying as we process foods a lot of that nutrition and a lot of times when people think about processed food they don't often think of like a canned food as a processed food they tend to think of like junk food process processed food just means it's been processed most of the food we eat has been processed if not all of it unless you grow your own food even your grocery store produce has been processed your apples have been tumbled with wax on the outside like all a lot of this food has been processed so when we're talking about processed food we're talking about what are the processes that are lowering or weakening the quality of our food and in what way are they doing that in this instance we're talking about fiber and nutrient so how does malocclusion and crooked teeth what does that have to do with obstructed breathing, malformed noses, and sinuses? How is the nose connected to the teeth? Obviously, if you look at your own face, your nose is sitting on top of your teeth. This is the upper portion of your jaw, but your sinuses are housed all over your face. But the ones that we're, we can talk about, they're, they're in your nose up your nasal cavity right they sit behind your eyes up through your forehead right in your face like under your cheekbones all of these areas can get affected by your palate right your palate if you think of your your skull as a 3d object which it is it's not just your face your palate is almost like this gosh for lack of better words like a diaphragm (laughs) it's not a diaphragm but like this 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 base or this floor that holds up a lot of your sinuses and your nose. So as your palate changes, the structure of the sinuses will change and the structure of the nose will change, which is what a lot of people do with mewing and they'll notice their nose begins to straighten out as their face broadens and there's more room as there should be for the face to kind of be the way that it should be. So many of us have malformed nasal passages And it's even speculated that up to one-third of us have deviated septums. A deviated septum is a term that's often thrown around, but a lot of people, I don't even really think, know what it is. All it really means is it's a condition in which the bones and the cartilage that separate the nose are not centered. So you might have more airflow through the left or the right, but but in short, the nasal passages in some way, shape, or form are malformed. 
Surgery is often performed or can be performed to alleviate the issue to create a better 50-50 separation of airflow. But if you don't have a really good surgeon, sometimes it's not successful and other times we can even get too much airflow in the nose. They can remove part of the nasal concha and create other issues. Um, but, But just to note here that a deviated septum Almost a third of us have them, and that's just to state that maybe all of this improper eating and chewing and improper swallowing patterns is leading to malformed, not only occlusion of the teeth, right, alignment of the teeth, but also formation of the nose and the sinuses and the entire face. It's all connected. So 50% of people also have chronically inflamed terminates. The erectile tissue lining the sinuses is too swollen for a clean inhale or exhale. If you notice someone who always sounds nasally when they talk or they always sound like they have a stuffy nose, this person probably has chronically inflamed terminates. A lot of people have chronically inflamed terminates and probably don't even know it. I've noticed in myself a lot of the foods that I'll eat will actually inflame my terminates and I can't breathe the same as I used to. This can really, really affect our health as we learned about in the first episode of breathing. If you did not listen to that one, please go listen to it. It will make this episode make a heck of a lot more sense. But the nostrils can also be too small, too weak or flimsy, and they can inhibit airflow. It's common to have nasal valve collapse, which is just when the nostrils kind of collapse when you try to breathe in air and it it just creates a smaller inhale, which is not ideal and is still a, a, a malformation of the face. This wasn't mentioned anywhere, but I would assume that the the structure of the nose, right, really dictates how strong or weak the the nasal passages are because if it's just biomechanically, right, if the bridge of the nose is too high or too far away and that's not the amount of skin that you're supposed to have, I would imagine that the, the nasal um, walls would thin. I'm not sure if that's true. That is literally just an assumption, but I would assume that that would create some flapping or vice versa. The face is too flat. The bridge is not high enough and the nasal tissue isn't springy, but instead it's really, really lax because it's not pulled tight. I hope, I hope that makes sense. <laughs> um, but airway obstruction is a real thing. Tons of people suffer from sleep apnea, ADHD and snoring are all Sleep apnea, ADHD, and snoring, they're all related to airway obstruction. And I know you're thinking, Naomi, you're insane. ADHD is related to airway obstruction. Yes. Yes, it is. All right, guys. Another small aside. I completely leave you hanging after this bit on ADHD and obstructed breathing. I just move on to obstructed breathing. And I thought that I should take a little bit more time as to not leave you off floating in the wind, not knowing about ADHD and obstructed breathing. Before I say anything about this, however, I do want to note that I'm not trying to minimize a diagnosis of ADHD saying, oh, it's just obstructed breathing. But I am saying they have done studies that have linked obstructed breathing to ADHD. The way this has been linked is that they've noticed a lot of people with ADHD have obstructed breathing often when they sleep. If you don't sleep properly and breathe properly while you sleep, you're not getting the proper nervous system activation and REMs and REMs stages of sleep to 
rest and recover and thus your attention span in a waking state is often much less because you are unable to sleep properly due to obstructed breathing. I'm not going to go much more in depth with ADHD, obstructed breathing and concentration right now and how that relates to everything else because we are on the obstructed breathing train and we shall continue because I do love pulling us just completely over into right field, but I'm trying really hard to stay on track. So let's continue learning about obstructed breathing. Shall we take it away? Pass Naomi. When looking for obstructed breathing, dentists will have you open your mouth and they look to the back of your throat. What they're looking for is your uvula, which is that little hanging piece of tissue in the back of your throat that sometimes in cartoons you'll see like I don't know, I'm picturing this big whale like swallowing a person and he like hangs on to the uvula so he doesn't like go into the the whale's belly. I don't know if anyone knows what I'm talking about, but that is your uvula. It should be fairly clearly visible and the more visible it is and towards the front of the face, that means you're less likely to suffer from airway obstruction. You're more likely to suffer from airway obstruction the further back and non-visible the uvula becomes. Obviously, this makes sense, right? It's kind of sunken back in the throat and the the face is depressed or flat. If the tongue overlaps the molars and is too big, it's more likely to obstruct the airway as well. Thick necks can also become an issue, whether it be muscle or fat. Thicker necks can obstruct airways. Women Women with necks larger than 16 inches and men with necks larger than 17 inches are at risk for sleep apnea, ADHD, and snoring, aka airway obstruction. Airway obstruction can also happen to those with mouths that are way too small. Traditionally, solutions to airway obstruction were orthodontic in nature and included orthodontic devices that expanded the palate and thus the mouth. Bigger mouth less airway obstruction. However, not all orthodontists were created the same and often it was too hard to move the lower jaw forward. So they began to move the upper jaw back. This can often be seen with, um, if any of you wore headgear, this is actually meant to move the upper jaw back most of the time as as opposed to pulling the lower jaw forward. Over over time, it became common practice to move the upper jaw back with headgear, as I had just mentioned, and also extract teeth, which made the problem even worse, shrinking the face, obstructing airways even more, and just, just making the mouth really, really tiny. Clearly, that's an issue. This can create TMJ problems, which often is heard as clicking in the jaw, sleep apnea, hay fever, and other breathing issues. Q. John Mew, a British semi-professional race car driver, formal biplane, former biplane pilot, and dentist. He took notice and began measuring faces, especially the faces of those who had expansion versus extractions. Sibling sets, twins, they all told the same story. Those who had retractive orthodontics had smaller mouths and obstructed airways. Their airways would constrict, the cheeks would puff up, and faces would elongate. He conducted his own studies and he claimed to prove, he claimed that these proved these common orthodontics hindered forward facial growth and thus shrunk mouths and airways causing all of these problems. 
No one seemed to care, and most people called him a quack, and he was sued repeatedly and actually lost his license. In later years, something amazing happened. This is very recent. In 2018, Stanford came out with a 260-page monograph that supported his new research, and he kind of got this crazy cult following. His son is a practicing dentist and orthodontist, and he actually teaches mewing. And he is the one, his son is the one that came up with the techniques that I had spoke about earlier that comprise mewing to fix the facial structure. He does amazing things to people's faces just through sometimes a device, but also through mewing. It is incredible. And we will save all of that info for a later date, but please know it's awesome. Let's think about the goal of mewing. The goal of mewing is essentially, well, one could argue, to grow more bone in the face. So when you engage your masticator muscles, the big muscles in your face, and creating all these pressures on your palate, and trying to force your face to grow forward and create larger air passageways, essentially you're going to have stem cell release and hopefully bone growth in the face. This not only helps make us look younger because there's no deterioration of the bone in the face, like because that's what all of our muscles and all of our facial tissue sit on top of, right? So you should look younger, which is why I mentioned in the first breathing episode, it'll make you prettier. It's kind of a joke, but it's kind of true. But at the end of the day, it's important to note that the ultimate goal of mewing should be to grow more bone in the face. And hopefully it has a side effect of one, you look good, two, you breathe better, three, all of that has a chain effect um, to living longer and better better health span right which brings me to the nervous system and breathing and how they're interconnected so there's two parts of the autonomic nervous system there's the parasympathetic and the sympathetic nervous system the parasympathetic is calm rest relax it's a system that is mellow chill the hippie side i guess so when you take in a big inhale the cells on the very bottom of your lungs help activate your parasympathetic nervous system which is a big reason why long slow full inhales help calm us and slow our heart rate the flip side of the parasympathetic is the sympathetic nervous system this gets turns on when we take slow shallow breaths and the molecules in our lungs that detect these, um, or rather the cells that detect these, are located higher in our lungs. So it's activated when we take these small, shallow breaths, and it raises our heart rate and really revs everything up. Think fight or flight, sort of. This can take around an hour or more to actually calm down. And there's something called sympathetic overload. So breathing too much can overload the sympathetic nervous system. Remember over-breathing? We often do this subconsciously. Harnessing the power um, of over-breathing and making making it conscious can be useful for us in forms of certain breathing techniques. And then it can serve to actually better us if we can kind of leverage this system right instead of just (laughs) slow shallow breathing when we're panicked um there's 
a nerve that's involved in all this as well. So the vagus nerve is part of the autonomic nervous system. And essentially, I didn't cover this earlier, but the autonomic nervous system contains the word auto, automatic, right? So it should be pretty automatic, but there's some breathing hacks, hacks that help us control this automatic breathing system. The vagus nerve runs down the center of the body and connects or innervates to all of the major organs, such as the lungs, heart, liver, spleen, intestinal tract, kidneys, pancreas, and stomach. We share this part of our autonomic nervous system with many animals. We call this our lizard or mammalian brain. Animals play dead, and so do people. We just call it fainting. This ability is controlled by the vagal nerve, and thus the autonomic nervous system. When we're stressed out, we sort of throttle the system, um, constricting and cutting off blood flow to many of our main organs when we're stressed out. Blood flow decreases and communication between the brain and the organ slows or becomes blocked. Chronic stress, in essence then, is not ideal because we're strangling the blood flow to a lot of our main organs. Stimulating the autonomic nervous system via the vagal nerve can help people to kind of reconnect that pathway and restore proper blood flow. There's even surgery that they do on people to stimulate that vagal nerve. I believe they insert something um, that, that does it on a regular basis. There's definitely an easier way. You don't have to have surgery. You can actually use breathing to help stimulate the vagal network. Think fast and slow breathing techniques. So in part three, we'll finally learn how to breathe. I know that I keep alluding to that, but I'd like to touch on anxiety and maybe why these might be useful to us before we talk about how to manipulate and use breathing hacks or breathing techniques. So anxiety happens and is very common for many people and the chemoreceptors are involved and they basically did research that found that the amygdala the fear center in the brain doesn't necessarily have to be activated but the chemoreceptors might be activated to induce anxiety so perhaps treating anxiety with breath can be a useful way to subdue anxiety so There's a lot of really intense techniques for breathing. Some of them are uncomfortable, contraindicated if you have issues. Many are hard. They can't be done while listening to this podcast by any means. They require long breath holds and lots of focus. And in the next episode, I'm going to dive deep into those and give more warning before that. But just know that you truly are trying to sort of hack the nervous system and in doing so you have to make sure you're in the proper place to do it so I don't (laughs) want to say just dive right in do your research be sure that you're ready and there's also other things that play in anxiety and stress but I'm just taking a breath perspective as far as we're concerned today I hope that this episode has been useful I can't wait to do a part three I'm sorry this has taken so long but I love and appreciate you all. Part of why this is taking me so long is because it's going on the YouTubes and the learning curve to record video and audio and edit both of them and have them out simultaneously is just 
I don't know. It's just more than I had anticipated, friends. So I appreciate you. Thank you for being patient. We should be back on a regular posting schedule, um, posting two times a week again. And yeah, if you like it, subscribe. Please leave a review. It definitely helps the podcast. I love you all, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.